You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. A warm welcome to another beautiful Sunday. Uh, it, it is indeed a blessing to be here to share the word with you again. Now, for those who may be listening online too, a warm welcome to you. And hopefully you'll be able to join us face-to-face fellowship soon. I hope you all had a good week and are ready to get right into the Word of God today as we continue on the Bible study series, God's Plan for the World, from the Gospel of Luke. And today our message is titled, Trusting in Jesus, and it's based on our scripture reading as we Marius has read, uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. We'll be looking at two very different characters in our passage today and to learn from their experiences and how they put their trust in Jesus. But as always, before we get into the word, into the message, let's just bow our heads and ask God to prepare our hearts and ears to hear what message the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us today. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your living word that is alive and is meaningful. Help us, dear Lord, to apply it. Help us to have years to hear what you have to say. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now if you're a bit of a Star Wars fan like me, this quote, oh, what's going on here? There you go. This quote uh, and this movie scene will probably take you back to the days when this movie was so famous. Now for those who are less of a geek like me, the scene is from the movie Star Wars Episode 4, A New, uh, oh, yeah, four, a New Hope, released in 1977. I will not spoil the movie for you if you plan to watch it, but there is a scene, this scene somehow just gets imprinted in my mind. And, and even though as a kid, I, I watched this scene so many times, I can't remember, I can't even begin to count the number of times I've watched this movie and how these words just stuck with me somehow. Now the scene depicts Princess Leia, who was escaping from an evil empire, who was about to capture her. She desperately needed the help to get the droid R2-D2, which is the one on the right, to her father. And the only person she could trust and rely upon was Obi-Wan Kenobi, a Jedi Knight who was in seclusion. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. It's the famous line from her in this movie and the context for that movie as well. A desperate plea from a desperate person who needed to help to save the rebellion. Ever been in that situation? Ever been in a desperate circumstance that you feel helpless to do anything but depend on that one person? Well, in today's scripture, we will explore two characters who are in desperate need of help, and their only hope is Jesus. As we've read in the scriptures, the first person we meet is Jairus. We are told he was a ruler of the synagogue, a person of power and authority. Yet, yet, he was desperate. He was desperate. Why? Because he had an urgent request. Time was running out for him. He was desperate. He did not know 
who to turn to, or what else he could do. Somehow, he heard, he heard that the person Jesus was in the area. He must have heard about what Jesus had been doing and the miracles he had been performing. And he knew, he knew he just had to get Jesus to help him heal his daughter. He was desperate. Desperate. He needed a miracle. From scripture we are told, and we know that his daughter was 12 years old, very young, and she was dying. What a sad situation, isn't it? She was clearly sick, and no physician was able to help her. Now, I don't know about you, but as a father, if either my daughter or my son was in such a dire circumstance, you try almost anything to try and find a cure for them, wouldn't you? Imagine the anxiety, the stress, the desperation that's overwhelming this father at this point in time. So he sets forth to look for Jesus. By whatever means, he was going to get Jesus to come to his home so that he heal his daughter. Now, similarly, in Matthew chapter 8, Verse 8, there's another person who also is in a desperate need of healing. But notice the difference in the response of this centurion in the story and how he sought Jesus. Both of them came personally because they trusted that Jesus could do something about the situation. One of them wanted to physically bring Jesus to the home to heal the daughter, whilst the other only needed Jesus to say the word. And he knew it would be done. Matthew chapter 8 verse 8 writes, But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come to my, under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another one, come, and he comes. And my servant, do this, and he does it. Both men both were men with authority. Yet the level of trust between this synagogue ruler and that centurion is so starkly different. The centurion believed that Jesus was someone with authority, whilst Jairus probably only saw Jesus as a miracle worker or a teacher. Though he trusted Jesus, his trust was very different from that of the centurion. And we'll observe this later in the passage as well. So Jairus sets forth to seek out Jesus. But because of the popularity of Jesus and his miracles and ministry, he was surrounded by heaps of people. A mob of people had surrounded Jesus. People just pressed in around him, trying to get a piece of that action that was happening. But being the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus was probably able to squeeze through that crowd with the help of his servants and perhaps his reputation. It was not a small crowd. If you recall, the Bible passages in the scriptures, we are told that when Jesus asked his disciples to feed the 5,000, and in those days, the 5,000 only referred to the men. So all in all, with women and children, it could have been as large as a few thousand, tens of thousands of people. 
That's how many people that surrounded Jesus. Now, I don't know whether you've been ever in this circumstance like this. Well, I personally have. I recall many, back many years ago, Catherine and I, we went to see the fireworks in Sydney on New Year's Day. It was the once-off for us, and I don't think we'll ever do it again. Um, it was so scary. You know, straight after the fireworks, we ran straight for the, for, from the, the Sydney Harbour to the train station, and there were thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, just rushing for the same train as well. It looked something like this, but far worse. We were pressed against each other. They were packing the trains like sardines. Everyone was trying to leave the city to go home or have that party. You could barely move when you were on the train, even at a station. Luckily, we were able to squeeze up some steps so we actually were not squashed like the others. But geez, that was scary. Jairus had to work his way through this crowd to the very center because that's where Jesus was located to make his request. It was a daunting task. But one, he needed to do so badly because he was so desperate. His daughter was dying. With some help, he manages to reach Jesus. He makes his requests, and Jesus, in his compassion, agreed to follow him. But imagine trying now to move Jesus from this crowd who have gathered around him. You have been in almost an impossible feat. But they tried. Time was running out. The crowd was moving slowly. As each moment passed, Jairus' daughter was slipping away. Can you imagine the anxiety and the stress that Jairus was feeling? He was firmly grabbing onto Jesus and trying to lead him out of the crowd to his home. But suddenly, there was an untimely interruption. Jesus suddenly stops mid-track and refuses to take another step forward. What now? Why did Jesus stop midway? Now we are told that there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Here's another desperate person. The second character in our story today. The discharge was probably due to some issues with a menstrual cycle. And during the time in accordance with Leviticus chapter 15 verse 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at a time of a menstrual impurity, or she has a discharge beyond the time of impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Under the law, she was deemed to be unclean and was shunned by people, isolated. She was deemed by Jewish tradition as unclean and everything she touches becomes unclean. This woman was also desperate. She had lived with the discharge for 12 years. Imagine being in isolation for 12 years. She's tried everything to fix it. She spent every penny of her living on physicians. 
and no one, no one could heal her. No one. Because of her uncleanness, she was not accepted by society. She was shunned by her peers and perhaps even abandoned by the family. She was so desperate for human connection. Again, so the only way she could do it was to seek Jesus out because she knew that Jesus could heal the sick. He knew that she knew that Jesus could raise the dead. If only she could just get near enough to just touch him. She trusted that she would be healed. So despite her uncleanness, she broke with tradition and she secretly made her way through the crowd to reach Jesus, risking her life. Now to be seen in public, in her state, and squeezing through a mob, if discovered, she could likely have been stoned because anyone she touched would also be deemed unclean by Jewish traditions. It could have been the end for her if she was caught. But her desperation, her desperation drove her to Jesus and she trusted that Jesus could rescue her and release her from this disgrace and uncleanness. She also knew the implications of her direct approach to Jesus. And she snuck up behind him and only just touched fringe of his garment. Just that step of faith alone and that one touch, the discharge of blood ceased. It's at this point that we bring back, bring us, ourselves back to the story of Jesus stopping midway as Jairus was desperately trying to drag Jesus to his house. Jesus stopped and said, who has touched me? Whoa. You know, I love the response of the crowd. We read in Luke chapter 8, verse 45b, when all denied it, no, not me, I didn't touch you. But everyone was just <laughs> squeezing and squeezing, no, I didn't touch you, not me. But Peter stated the obvious, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing onto you. Whilst the scripture did not add on to Peter's words, I can only imagine what is going through Peter's head. He must be saying to himself, what on earth are you talking about? Everyone is touching you. Wait, what do you mean, who has touched you? Jesus clearly understood Peter's bewilderment and explained that he perceived that power had gone out from him. Now this should not be taken out of context that Jesus suddenly just lost the power to heal, all right? or lost his power to do anything. But it should be interpreted as Jesus knowing that he somehow had healed, knowing that he had healed someone. Did Jesus know, not know who touched him? Jesus knew exactly who touched him. And he knew why. And he knew it was the unnamed woman with the discharge. Hence, knowing she could no longer hide in the shadows, she came forward trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. 
you know that this declaration by the Jewish traditions, as it is written by Leviticus 15:19, will render Jesus unclean. That is why she chose to do it in secret, as written in 8:44. According to Charles Spurgeon, she was a stranger to the generosity. She was a stranger to the generosity of Jesus's character, or she would not have gone behind the steel that cure. Which he had, she was. He was so ready to bestow. She was a stranger to the generosity of Jesus' character, or she would not have gone behind to steal the cure, which he was so ready to bestow. Now, did Jesus single her out for embarrassment? No. No, he didn't. His words clearly showed that he signal singled her out because he loved her. He wanted her to know it. Instead of being angry with her for making him ceremonially unclean, he said to her, as a father would to a loving daughter, "Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace." Friends, our God does not hate us or choose to punish us for the sake of it. Our God is not one that we need to appease, lest wrath befall us, like the other idol gods. Our God loves us so much, and the only reason why we face punishment or challenges in our life is because He wants to draw you back to Himself. Hebrews four sixteen writes, "Let us then, with confidence." Confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, who do you go to when you are in trouble? Who do you put your trust in during your times of desperation? Jesus calls us to draw near to Him, and we will find. In Him, peace, for His burden is light. Friends, let us, as we have read, draw near to the throne with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. With all the drama unfolding, we are told someone from the ruler's house. Came and said, "Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore." Now notice this: he calls him a teacher and a master, whereas in the other circumstance, the teacher said, "Let's give the command and you'll be done." So they, Jairus only saw him as a teacher and a master. There was a contrast in the response of this person, in in opposition, in contrast to that of the centurion that we read earlier on. But whilst Jairus trusted that Jesus could heal the daughter. He did so not because he recognizes Jesus' authority, but he recognizes his power. Friends, I wonder how do we see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Is he just a miracle worker, or do we see him as the Son of God and our Savior, the King of Kings, and therefore he has the authority over us? 
Now, despite Jairus's incomplete picture of Jesus, Jesus still loved him. And that's how loving our God is. And He knows the challenges and the feelings that He's going through right now. This was not a time for a lesson, but a time for compassion, grace, and mercy. Jesus, hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Just believe, and she will be well. Have you ever been in a situation when all seems hopeless at an end, and then Jesus suddenly shows up? Well, whilst often we blame God, why me? Why were you late to come to my rescue? I needed you one week ago. Where were you? We need to remember that God is never late. He's always comes to our rescue and He's always just in time because He loves you. He does not do it just for the sake of it. Whilst things may appear late for us, to God it's always just in time. Nothing is impossible with God and He's never late. Well, this may be hard for us to comprehend and hard for us to appreciate at this point in our journey, as we look back at a time that you were in, in that situation, you can often see God's plan for us. And His plan is to bless us, not to harm us. Jesus arrives at a house and is filled with professional mourners. People are, who are paid to make as much noise as they can and to cry as hard as possible for the person who has passed. Needless to say, they are there not because they care, but they're there to make a quid, to make money out of it. Jesus, on the other hand, comes not because he's anything to gain from it, but he comes because he loved. Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. To Jesus, death is but a temporal situation, almost as if one is asleep. But to us, it's absurdity. Hence, the mourners laughed and mocked Jesus, not being able to tell the difference. They think that Jesus is crazy. How can this person be asleep? He's clearly dead. But Jesus only had to say the word, and even the dead will be raised. Jesus' authority and power is beyond measure. Even death cannot hold him, for even death must give up its hold if it's Jesus' command. This is the God, my friends, that we worship. In conclusion, remember the centurion I mentioned earlier in this message and his faith in Jesus' authority and trust in his power. Trusting in Jesus is a concrete confidence in Jesus' kindness, but also his authority. 
That is why in Matthew 8.10, when Jesus heard the centurion's response, he marveled and he said to those who follow him, Truly I tell you, with no one, no one in Israel have I found such faith. Friends, how do you see Jesus? Do you trust him with your life? It's your response, like Princess Leia in the movie, help me, only one Kenobi, you're my only hope. But instead of only one Kenobi in that name, it says Jesus Christ in there. What you really believe about Jesus' power and compassion will determine how you face your own mortality. Friends, I hope that in our quiet time, in our reflections of this passage, that we genuinely ask ourselves these questions. Does God have authority over my life? And am I trusting God with it? Do I trust that God loves me enough, have grace enough, have compassion enough, for me to entrust my entire life to Him. My thoughts, my decision making, my family, my future, can I entrust that into His hands, saying, help me Jesus Christ, you're my only hope. Is that your heart cry, my friends? If not, it's perhaps time for us to relook at what we put our trust in. I hope that the message today will challenge us to seek God and put our absolute trust in Him. May the Lord's love, compassion, mercy and grace fill your heart so much so that you can put your absolute trust in Him. The Lord God Almighty, the King of kings. Let us pray. Dear God, Forgive us of the times that we put our trust in earthly material things than putting our trust in you alone. Sorry, Lord, for the times we found security in our jobs, in our families, in our successes. Sorry, Lord, for the times that we've let our blessings become our idols rather than recognizing where these blessings come from. Forgive us, Lord, for not putting you first. Forgive us, Lord, for not putting our absolute trust in you, knowing that you are the God Almighty. Lord, help us to put our hope and our trust in you. Help us because we are desperate and we need you. For without you, we are nothing. God, we pray that the word today will challenge us to look at how we trust you. And we pray, dear God, 
do you speak to each and every one of this person in this room and also for those who may be listening online as well. Help us, Lord, to see for who you are, to be like a centurion with that faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.